What's going on, beautiful podcast family? I hope that wherever you are on this planet, you're doing fantastic, and I am sending you all of my love, well wishes, and good vibes to you in these interesting, fascinating, and hopefully transformative times. We've got another amazing episode of the show for you today. We have Coach Michael Burt on, and we are talking about activating the prey drive and achieving your highest potential. Uh, Coach Burt is known as America's Coach. He's been coaching for years, and uh, he's written 17 books. And in this one, we go over a lot of topics around mindset, peak performance, and achieving your highest potential, which are all subjects that I love. Um, So we talk about uh, flipping the switch, the whole person story, uh, the seven... habits of highly effective people, the four parts of a human, the three components of prey drive, um, grieving lost potential, uh, the work of Wayne Dyer, the importance of having a coach, um, the missing key to mastery, the traits of self-actualized people, and so much more. So this is a very practical and tool-based episode. I had to pause it there. I couldn't figure out the words. Uh, So you're going to love this episode. If you enjoy it, please share it on Facebook, Instagram, tag me anywhere. Uh, Censorship is the real deal. Uh, Accounts are being deleted. I was on the early uh, account deletion. So many more have been deleted recently from YouTube, from Facebook, from everywhere. There's literally a whole entire uh, massive, massive banning and shadow banning going on right now. So if you want to support the show, please uh, share support on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com forward slash Matt Belair. Toss a buck in the bucket there. That helps immensely. Consider joining the Academy. Would love to have you there as well. And you can go to mattbelair.com and um, join the Academy. And also right now I am working on the Quantum Heart Hypnosis launch. These are guided uh, meditations, experiences that will help you get crystal clear on your life direction, make meditation easy, um, and train your brain your heart and your entire body for total coherence. Uh, It's a very, very powerful process and I'm very excited to be releasing that soon. So go to mattbelair.com, sign up for the email list so that way you can stay up to date with all that kind of stuff. And the best way to support the show as always is three kind acts. Um, At least one kind act in the world today is the best way you can support the show. And for those of you guys who want some one-on-one coaching to help you get to the next level, crystal clear on your life purpose, your life direction, mixed with peak performance and spirituality tools, I'm your guy. Uh, Just hit me up, mattbelair.com forward slash coaching and would love to hear from you. So that's it. Let's get into this amazing episode. But before we do, let's come to a state of peace and coherence. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and just let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, enthusiasm, courage, inspiration, and ready to take on this amazing episode with Coach Michael Burt. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest is considered America's coach. He has a unique blend of a former championship basketball coach combined with a deep methodology for inner engineering people to produce at a higher level in the business world. He is the author of 17 books and an international speaker who holds the world record for the most speaking engagement in 24 hours. 
He has coached thousands of top performing individuals and businesses around the world. Welcome to the show, Coach Michael Burt. All right. Thanks for having me tonight, man. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to be with you. We're going to have some fun. Yeah, man, it was, uh, it was great to dive a little bit into your work. I was looking at what you do and, you know, the massive audiences you speak to and who you're around and just how long you've been in the game. You know, I think uh, one of the things that I like to tell people when I coach, because um, I have a, a sport uh, coach background as well, it's like it's going to take time, you know what I mean? But if you stay in the game long enough, that's where you get to the level of mastery. And so when I look at how long you've been doing this for and the people you're around in your work ethic, um, it's clear to see you've mastered a lot of skills. So I'm excited to have you on the show and um, would love for you to share a little bit about your background and, and everything that you were working on to kind of get to what you're doing today. Yeah, I was a women's basketball coach for a decade of my life. I actually started very young. I kind of found my calling at 15. I was coaching at an elementary school by 18. I was uh, the youngest head coach in the state of Tennessee, I think at 21 or 22 years old at the second largest high school. And by 25, I was winning, you know, 25 games a year. But what I was really doing was studying the psychology of activating the prey drive in a person how to enter engineer a person from the whole person theory, body, mind, heart, and spirit. And so I really began to separate myself from the other coaches from 26 to 31. And that's kind of when I built this national championship basketball program. And people were constantly asking me what I was doing, how I was doing it, how was I doing it different. Then I would explain it and they didn't understand it. <laughs> and so I started writing books about it. And unbeknownst to me, with really no intentionality at that time in my life, people began to ask me to speak to their teams. These were corporate America companies. And pretty soon, you know, they started saying, what would it cost for you to be the coach of our team? And these were businesses. So I didn't give it much thought till I won a championship. And then when I won a championship at 31, I said, you know, I'm ready for the next chapter of my life. I'm ready to be an entrepreneur. I'm ready to start a business. I'm ready to travel the world. I'm ready to impact you know, I was bored. I, I had, I had, you know, achieved mastery at that level because I was there from, you know, 19 to 31. And I had developed a new skill set. And that skill set was activating the drive in people. And I quickly figured out that, A, they would compensate me at a much higher level uh, in another arena. And B, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the fluidity, the flexibility, the the I just enjoyed it. So I was ready for a new challenge. And that's kind of started the second part of my career at 31. I'm 44 today. So for 13 years, I've been coaching business people, salespeople, uh, billion dollar companies, startup companies. I've spent four years in the prison system rehabilitating maximum security offenders in the state of Tennessee, which was very enlightening work. And, um, you know, so I've really coached all kinds of people from all walks of life over the last 28 years. Wow, that's an amazing resume. And so I guess I'll just start with uh, the obvious question. What is, what is the prey drive? And then I want to get into some of those aspects of inner engineering, because if you have a, a background in working with uh, young people, as well as uh, people in prison, and then also high performers, or at least people who have achieved success in the business world, I'm curious if all the principles are the same, or you just have maybe to um, give some fundamentals to people who aren't uh, further along in the process. Well, let's tackle the prey drive first, and then we'll talk about the, the model and methodology I use. Prey drive is an instinctual ability to see something optically with the eyes or mentally in the imagination and have the persistence and intensity to pursue it. 
I got that term from animals. Animals have a prey drive, P-R-E-Y-D-R-I-V-E. And it is the animal's ability to, to stalk, capture, and kill prey, right? It's, it has a killer instinct, what you may call it. And when I heard the concept, I think, you know, humans have a prey drive. It is the human's ability to see something and pursue it. And so what, I, what I've done most of my life is take a concept like prey drive, uh, codify that concept, break it down, build a framework around it, and then teach from it. So if you look out in the world, I'm pretty much the only person on the planet that is using the term prey drive in that context. Okay. And that's really what I've been doing. So think of it as, I'll just call it what the, the new book is called, Flip the Switch. What I'm trying to do is activate a drive in a person to pursue their potential. And that drive is activated with different activators, right? There's different things. What, what activates your drive to pursue something may be different than what activates my drive. So the new book I'm writing helps you to identify your primary activator of your drive. It helps you to flip the switch. It helps you to pursue your deepest human potential. And if self-actualization is your goal, which it should be, but many people don't think of it like that. It's kind of a book that activates the drive in people because in my work as a coach, nine out of 10 people have not had this drive activated or it is latent and undeveloped. It has gone dormant. It was alive at one point and now it has gone dead, right? So a lot of companies bring me in for one reason and that is to activate this drive in their people. That is a universal skill, by the way. If I can do that in the prison system, if I can do it with children, if I can do it with executives, if I can do it with entrepreneurs. It is one universal skill that you can never go wrong with because until this drive is activated, much of the mechanics really don't matter, right? It doesn't matter how much sales technique you teach a person if they don't have the drive to pursue something. Does it matter, you know, how you teach a person how to explain their services if they don't have a drive to even get out and explain their services? So what I didn't realize was that that was really what I was doing from, from, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18, even till 44 years old. And that was activating that drive in people. So the whole person theory is predicated on a model that I learned at 18 years old from Dr. Stephen Covey. Covey wrote the seven habits of highly effective people. But what he really introduced me to was the whole person theory. And the whole person theory says that people are made up of four parts, a body that's physical, a mind that's mental, a heart that's emotional, and a spirit that's spiritual. Each of those parts produce different needs, different dimensions, different capacities, different intelligences. And if we're going to have a conversation about potential, which I believe is just kinetic energy that is stored until utilized, the idea of embryonic growth that will be better today than we were yesterday, then we can't have that conversation unless we talk about tapping into all four parts of a person's nature, the body, the mind, the heart, and the spirit. This was the model that I used from... 18 to 31 to build those championship basketball players. That is the model I use today to tap into a person's deepest potential. So many of the people that I coach say, man, you're, you're different than the other sales trainers. You're different than the other. Well, I've got a different pedigree. I've been, I've been coached by a different person. I've subscribed to a much larger theme than just teaching sales technique or uh, tactic or personality ethic. I really try to go deep to do two things, activate the prey drive. And you can't do that until you understand the whole person. 
And then once the drive is activated, help them manifest their deepest human potential. Sounds amazing. The, when you speak about it, I just did uh, one of Stephen Kotler's courses. And um, one of the things he talked about was, uh, well, the habit of ferocity. And it was just the idea that it would, you know, once it's turned on, it's just going to happen naturally. And it's interesting to see some people out in the world who seem to have this quote unquote natural gift and the other people have to work at it. Um, and so I'd love for you to get into some of the details on, you know, what are some of those activators? How can we begin to um, connect with those things? And I, and I like the holistic as, approach as well. So is it different activators for each segment? And that's kind of how you go about it? Well, the way I look at it is, think about it this way. There are three components of the prey drive. It has to be activated. It, there has to be a persistence to it. And there's got to be an intensity to it. And if you study the animal, what's interesting about the animal is you find out that no external reward satisfies the desire to pursue greater than the mere ability to pursue the prey which I think is interesting because what it's really saying is catching the prey is not the prize. The ability to pursue the prey is the prize, which is what I try to teach our people. The ability to get up, work the muscle, pursue our potential is the reward. Mm. Okay. And, and when you think about the activators, what I have seen are there are typically five activators. There are more than five, but these are the five I see the most. Competition is an activator of prey drive. And competition can be uh, during this period of uh, COVID when I couldn't go on the road and I couldn't speak. It's almost like I have a competitor and the competitor has awakened the prey drive in me. So what it forced me to do is get competitive. Oh, oh, I can't hit my sales numbers that way. Okay. Then, then let's play this game. Let me figure out another way to do it. Right. Competition is not always, there's a competitor. It could be a competition with your potential. It could be a competition with your own mind. It could be a competition with there's a game now to play. There's something to win. There's a fight. There's a, there's something to pursue. And so competition is an activator of prey drive. Um, and as a, as a former championship coach, it really wasn't competition. Wasn't my number one activators. I know that people would find that interesting, but it was actually the pursuit of our, deepest potential the pursuit of a championship was much greater than just who i was playing right it was me versus me it was our team versus our team and i knew we were going to win a championship when we won a game one night by 30 or 40 points and my team walked straight through the locker room outside and they began running wind sprints after the game and i didn't say anything to them and i went outside and i said what you know i coach girls i said ladies what are you what are y'all doing I mean, we won by 30 or 40 points and my players said, yeah, but we didn't, we didn't really win coach. Like the scoreboard said we won, but we didn't play to our potential. So we're disciplining our own self. And I said, man, this team's going to win a championship. That takes enormous amount of maturity to win a game by that much and go out and like discipline your own self, right. For not, for not performing at your highest level. And that team won a championship. So Competition is an activator of prey drive. Well, I wanted to add into that because, you know, coaching, coaching sports, I feel like whether it's the parents or the organizations for young people, they see competition as a negative thing. And I think many people frame it that way and make it that way, you know, one person being better than the other. But from a martial arts perspective, it's more about iron sharpening iron or 
you know, that team, even if they beat you, it's, they played at their highest potential. Can it push you to be a better athlete? Can it push you to be a better person? And um, I think that's a, those are very important things to do. And you need other people to train with or to compete about, uh, against to know how good you are, what your level is. And um, that's what they did with the CrossFit model, which I think was brilliant, where they take a working out, which is usually solo idea. And then they combine all the exercises that make it somewhat fun. If, if that's your type of fun, which it kind of is for me. Um, but because you see who you're competing with, it, it, you kind of like push yourself and you, you'll work out harder in that group than you will yourself. And they, and they built the model, I think, just on that, on that side, on the good side of competition. You know, it's like, okay, yeah. like if he can do it or they can do it, you know, then I can improve. I can do that too. Yeah. And, and you know, one of my new endeavors is I, I own uh, I'm partners on an F45 gym. And F45 is, you know, the fastest growing gym franchise in the world. And it is kind of like a CrossFit. It's a cross between a CrossFit and Orange Theory. So there's a coach, you're, you're at a station, you have a time limit, you're working, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to look bad. You don't want to not do it right. You don't like, there's these elements that, that bring out the best in you. They activate the prey drive in you. I work out harder when I'm there than I do in other places. And it's because of, of, of another activator prey drive, which is environment. Hmm. Environment is an activator of prey drive. When you are in an environment that forces you to play up, you know, and I'll use the F45 as an example. When I'm on the road, sometimes I have to work out on my own because, you know, I was in, you know, Ashton, Idaho last week. There's not many places to work out in Ashton, Idaho. Maybe a CrossFit. And I, I'm, not, I'm not a big CrossFit person just because um, my wife is a big CrossFit person, but, but I'm not. And, and so I worked out on my own. And sometimes I do tap out, you know, which is, which is you know, like MMA type things. And I love it. Okay. I love it. I love the punching, love the kicking. I love the, 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 the step, but I don't work out as hard as when I'm there in the gym with a trainer in an environment with somebody pushing me with somebody beside me with a time frame, with the, at the counter counting down with the exercises pre-planned. So, so environments activate prey drive, right? And I try to create high prey drive environments when I'm coaching a company. And because I, even, even me left to my own devices, with no accountability and no structure, no matter how motivated I can be, I can contract to a place of comfort, right? It's just that simple. We took a guy who, was, uh, who fought pirates in, in the uh, Somalia, in the, in the Navy, and he was in my coaching program. But he was in South Carolina by himself, and he just he couldn't get himself together, man. He just, couldn't, he just couldn't do it on his own. And I said, move to Nashville. Be around me every day. I'll let you work at the greatness factory. You can travel with me and you should see his level of performance. Now being around me in my environment every day versus his level of performance by himself over in South Carolina. Okay. So environments create activate prey drive. Okay. Another activator prey drive is fear of loss. And when I wrote this book, basically we've done the manuscript and they're pitch, pitching it to publishers right now. My agent wanted me to make the whole book about fear how fear can be your number one activator, a prey drive. And I, and I didn't really want to do that. Although I believe out of all of the activators, fear can be one of the greatest activators. If used properly, fear is in a, a negative emotion created by a belief that something can, is going to harm me in the future. It is an emotion, right? 
And um, fear of loss is probably my number one activator, meaning I've worked hard for 28 years to build the life I have. I don't want to lose it. Uh, I think when you start thinking about losing things, for some people it's losing money, power, status, um, reputation, uh, feeling of rejections. There's ways to use this, these feelings, disappointment, to activate your prey drive, right? And if used properly, I, I actually believe that big time people use negative emotions and they convert those emotions like a, like a conduit, like they convert a negative to a positive real quickly. Mm-hmm. And so fear of loss is an activator of prey drive. And then I would look at uh, inspired by others, meaning your prey drive is activated when you are around greatness you know, and I always like to ask audiences in your lifetime, how many people have you been around that you thought were self-actualized, you know, and it's typically less than five people, right? It's typically most people say, man, maybe it's been three people in my whole life I've been around that I thought that dude is just clicking on a very high frequency. Um, so so ins- inspiration by others is so critical. And we're here talking about self-development. You're involved in self-development. You know, you're involved in these other things that, cause you're, you're, you're curious about your potential, right? I mean, you're interested. The average person is not interested in their potential. <laughs> they, they, the average person reads less than one book a year in America. The coming to like, I sell coaching. If you want to find something that's really hard to sell, <laughs> sell coaching, trying to convince a person to spend $1 on their self to get better is one of the hardest things in the world you were ever have to sell. And they tell me all day long, no, I'm good. I mean, they're good, but they're broke, right? They're good, but they're not reaching their potential. They're good, but they're complacent. No, I don't, I don't have the money uh, of their, and, and they're, you know, they're spending on all these other things. And it's so crazy to me that you can't get around investing money in your own self as an asset in your own potential. Like I just, it's really hard for me to understand. And, you know, I, th- I think, I think so. So to me being, I'm, I constantly place myself around big time people. I think it's okay to compare. If you're going to compare, compare up, you know, it, it, not, not, not because you're in a competition with them, but just to inspire you. If somebody's doing something bigger, better, then I'm interested. How are they doing it? What are they doing? Why am I not doing? Like I'm curious, right? So inspired by others. And I would finish with uh, exposure is an activator of prey drive. And what I mean by that is exposing people to a bigger world. It, they say that 90% of people live within 10 minutes of where they were born. Mm. That's not exposure. Okay. When I grew up, we did not have a lot of money and I'm not saying we're poor cause that hurts my mom's feelings. And I understand that, but I go back and looked at the houses we lived in and we, I mean, it was, we just didn't have a lot of excess cash. So we didn't go anywhere. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't, it wasn't that we did anything wrong. We just didn't, we didn't go to New York city. We didn't go to Miami. We didn't go to Los Angeles. We didn't go to Chicago. We didn't go to Canada. We didn't, we didn't go anywhere like that. So I didn't see this world. And when I was 15 or 16 years old, I was in a leadership society and I got chosen to go to a leadership camp. And I was the only kid at my high school they got to go to this leadership camp. I had to get on a plane. I had to go to North Carolina. I had to stay with other kids for a week. And all we did was study leadership. And it was called the Broy Hill Leadership Academy. 
And what was interesting is that may have been when I was introduced to Covey. I don't really remember, but it may have been. Um, but when I came home, man, I was different. And I had, I had a different skill set. I had been exposed to something the other kids didn't get. I was the only kid from my high school. That was one thing that happened to me. And a local dentist in my city, and this sounds crazy, but there was a dentist in my city that had a, a theater arts background, a drama background which was opposite of me. I was an athlete. I wasn't in, I wasn't doing uh, plays. I wasn't in theater or drama. And this dentist every year would take one person from the local high school and teach them how to speak, how to write a speech, how to communicate. And for some reason he chose me. And he said, every night after basketball practice, I want you to come up to my house and I'm going to just coach you and how to communicate because he said, man, I see something in you. You really can be something special. And so for a year, the dude worked with me on that. And just think about, I mean, what I do today, which is speak and communicate around the world. And it was, those seeds were planted in me. Coaching, the leadership, the speaking were planted in me very early in life. I don't know why. I can't tell you. I, I don't know why they chose me. I just know that my coaches saw something in me that, that most likely I didn't even see in me. So that's the power of a coach. Amazing. When you share all that, I'm reminded of uh, David Goggins' book. He shares a story about these two brothers, and they were basically best brothers and always thought alike. And one of them did the Navy SEAL training camp and passed it. And then he said, you know, with his other brother, his connection wasn't as strong. I don't know if they were twins, but uh, they were very close brothers. And so it wasn't until his brother went through the Navy SEAL training as well that they, that, you know, their bond was back to where it was. And it kind of encapsulates all of those principles right there. And my example for me is like, you know, I've traveled a lot, but I have bonds with people that I met that still last today from training mixed martial arts in Thailand, which was incredibly challenging and unique and uh, competitive and, uh, you know, you were around greatness, people who were, were competing at the highest levels in kickboxing and wrestling and, and MMA, as well as training in China and watching Shaolin monks and what those people were able to do. And, uh, you know, it was absolutely phenomenal, but we still have friendships because we were witnessing the same thing and experiencing the same thing and like, experiencing that type of grueling training. Um, and the same thing with, uh, you know, uh, the people I went to train with in, uh, to, in, I want to go to Tibet, but I ended up in Nepal. And so I think for me, one of the huge factors in there, and they're all really great, is the environment. You know, being around people who you want to be around. You know, that's what's going to make you better. If you want to be the best MMA person, you should be around the best MMA fighter. If you want to be great in business, surround yourself with amazing entrepreneurs. Um, because if people don't have that same mindset, it's going to be much more challenging for you to get to that level of mindset and you're not going to have anybody to challenge you. Just like if you're the best fighter in a very small town in a very small gym, you need to go to a bigger place where, where people are better so that you can really be pushed and elevate your game to the highest level of competition. So I think that's a really uh, brilliant summary of, of activating an inner drive. Now, you know, for somebody who might be listening to this and they, they want to take on these principles now, like what, what's the first thing that they should do? Because maybe if they have a family, it's going to be hard for them to travel. Um, you know, what would be a starting point for an individual? Well, I think about one of the number one things they could do to activate and reactivate that drive is, 
in today's world, you can, you can get a lot of coaching. I mean, someone could watch me on YouTube almost every day, right? Thousands of videos. And some people resonate because I'm a former coach. I have an intensity about me. I have a cadence about me. And some people just like, man, just by being around you, my prey drive is activated. You know, it's like they need that. I have actually structured my coaching program where I coach all of the people in my program every week, every Monday, because I believe here's the cycle. This is a vicious cycle too. And if you study human nature, I'm a big Robert Greene fan. And, uh, you know, 48 Laws of Power, Mastery, but really goes deep in the laws of human nature. Why do people act the way they do? Why do they do what they do? What, what signs do you need to pick up? And one of the things I believe about human nature is we start with good intention. The prey drive is activated, but it's flickering, right? It's like, oh, I watch Coach Burton, I'm motivated. Oh, oh, watch. All oh, right. Oh, I'm around somebody big and I'm motivated. Then, then, then we fall off the wagon. We start with good intention. We fail to follow through for whatever reason, lack of discipline, don't have the environment, no accountability, no structure, confusion. And then we experience guilt. And I don't know why I've been thinking about this the last couple of days, but there's been at least two funerals that I've been asked to give the eulogy at where the person or persons really didn't do anything in the world. Nobody knew what to say about them. I'm like asking their friends, what did they do? Well, they really didn't do anything. Well, I'm asking their coworkers, what did they accomplish? Well, they really didn't accomplish anything. What kind of philanthropic missions would they have? Well, they didn't really involve in philanthropic. Like, what did they do with What did they do in this human life? Cause I got to give the eulogy and I don't have anything to say. And I just thought it was so sad that you could live a full human life and, and not have done anything remarkable, not have done anything right that somebody could remark about. And I think this is the human nature part is that most people go through lives at a very low frequency. They get up, they go to work, they go home, they go to bed, they do it all over again. Every now and then there's a flicker of dream, but most people have let their dreams die. They had dreams, they've given up on those dreams. So they start, they start the diet, the book, the, the, the uh, dream, the job, and then it just flickers away. And then they experience guilt. In my opinion, the guilt is associated with grief. Uh, and most people don't think of it like this, but what we're grieving is our lost potential. Hmm. And I remember speaking in Riviera Maya, Mexico in 2012 at the original 10X event. That's uh, where me and Grant Cardone, Bradley, and Cardone was speaking on this concept of 10X, 10X in your life. And he was talking about from, you know, X age to X age, 20, maybe, maybe 19 to 31 or something. He lost his brother. He lost, uh, he had drug addiction, you know, and he was going to counselors and the counselors were constantly telling him, you're grieving the loss of your father. You're grieving the loss of your brother. And he said at like 43, he realized what he was really grieving was all that time he wasted doing nothing, just wasting his potential, doing drugs, goofing off, messing around. He had this tremendous potential about him, which I think lots of people do. All people, you know, yeah. Do all people have it? I don't know. But most people have a whole lot more potential than what they do, but they get caught up in the thick of thin things. They get caught up in the, the, the normalcy of life, the get up and go and make it through, right? 
but so when I spoke at those funerals and I didn't have anything to say, I thought, man, that's not going to be me. I'm going to pursue big dreams. I'm going to try to live a remarkable life. I'm going to help a lot of people. And, and, uh, if the end of my life, it won't be that you won't have anything to say. Okay. I want it to be, you got a lot to say. Now pick, pick which one, pick which one you want to say. Right. And so they've had all these unique sessions in life, unique things in life that's happened to me, but just remember the cycle. I start with good intention. I fail to follow through. I experience guilt. Well, a good coach should help you break that cycle because they reactivate that prey drive every day. It like has to be kickstarted. And, and contrary to what most people think, you may say, well, my prey drive is inside me. And it, and it is inside you. It is, it is an instinct inside of you. But based on 28 years of me coaching people, in almost every circumstance, it had to be activated by something externally. There was an indignation. There was a slight. There was a, I remember a, a, a publicist once said about me, I spoke at this thing and this big time publicist was there. And, they asked her how I did, and she said, oh, he, you know, he's a good basketball coach. He's, he's a pretty good speaker. And I've never forgotten that comment <laughs> because that comment has motivated me to, to say, you know what, I'm, I appreciate you saying I was a good basketball coach, okay? Uh, I appreciate you saying I was a pretty good speaker, but, you know, I want to be known in the world. And comments like that motivate me. Like, like I'll show you, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent. I use these things this slight indignation, like, okay, hey, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see how, how, how many people we impact in the world. How many people are you going to impact versus how many I'm going to impact? Like, it's not me versus her, by the way. It's just a comment that I used. And I think big-time people use things to activate and reactivate their prey drive. Yeah, when you, when you talk about that, it, it makes me think of alchemy, and the proper term of alchemy is, is translating or translating our transmuting emotions uh using them on an emotional scale so i've experienced a lot of um stories and and uh, interactions in my life where people went through really serious trauma and they were able to get to the other side of it and do a, a tremendous amount of good and when they were able to forgive or get through or get to the other side that was the fuel that allowed them to help so many other people Unfortunately, on the other side, when people experience trauma or heartache or challenge, um, a lot of the time they don't have the support or will or whatever the case is to get to the other side. And it ends up really having a negative impact on their life. But like you said there, it, it also reminded me of, um, you know, Michael Jordan. I watched the, uh, the Netflix about him and how he just would use everything as a motivator for what he wanted to accomplish. Now, maybe some of the frames around it were a little bit uh, negative or intense, but it, it did fuel him to be the best basketball player of all time. And so I'm curious, um, you spoke on this a little bit, self-actualization. What does that mean to you? And have you met anybody who you consider to be self-actualized? And just to throw another question in there, um, what do you think the limits are of human potential? Because one of the reasons I went to uh, China to train with Shaolin monks, I wanted to know what humans were capable of. Um, if there are yogis in caves, I haven't been to India yet to check it out, but I want to. I want to know if there's some kind of guy. And you know, as I've gotten older, I realized that there are frauds in this game, that there are people who use magic, that they use manipulation, that they use tricks to make you believe in certain things, like the guy in Russia – um, does a magic trick about um, seeing through x-ray ray vision. Darren Brown calls him out. Um, there's even some evangelists down in the States that got caught and, they, and, they, and they're still out there now. So, um, you know, doing their thing because 
they're they're trying to profit. But I do think that there is legitimate potential. And when I read about uh, Yogananda, you know, books like that, and I read and, and experience the Shaolin monks in per, in person and what they're able to do and how they trained. And that's how I'm very confident it was legit because I witnessed the training. I, you know, I, I interviewed Ben Askren recently. He's a former you know, UFC fighter, two-time MMA champion in multiple organizations. And I told him about one of the masters breaking stone with two fingers. And the first thing he said, is that real? You know, is that bull crap? And I was like, I think it was real because I saw the dent holes in the trees of them conditioning their fingers. And I watched them train and I watched Shaolin monks punching bricks with everything that they had and this immense work ethic for years. That's what they did. That's who they were to dedicate their whole lives to doing something extraordinary that should not be humanly possible. So what the heck are the limits to this human experience? And where do you want to put that potential? Where do you want to put that drive? And that for me, when I did the interview with Master Go, who could break the bricks, I, I thought if I applied half of that, even a quarter of that type of dedication to any direction of my life, I would mm -hmm. be successful. You know, I'm not going to put it towards breaking stone with two fingers and point it somewhere else. But if I could apply a fraction of that towards my goals and my dreams, it would be inevitable. And I could enjoy the process kind of like what you said. Well, I think a couple things you triggered while I was thinking. It's almost like when I, when I won a championship. I didn't know when, when it was going to happen. I could just see it in the mind's eye. I could see myself standing out in the middle of the gym in front of 10,000 people being the best, right? It's like, it's like a dream. It's like your potential is pulling you toward it. It's like you set an intention in the universe. You know, I was a big Wayne Dyer. Wayne Dyer, I don't give him enough credit because he really influenced me. Cubby influenced me tremendously. But Wayne Dyer influenced me tremendously too. The power of intention, manifestation. Um, you know, you know, this idea of, of the difference between inspiration and motivation and seeing something through its logical conclusion. And, you know, all I know when I was coaching is I set the seed of intention in the, in the world that I was going to win a championship. And I, and it was at a place that had never won one. So people laughed at me. They were like, man, you never, like, this is like, you got one of the worst girls basketball jobs in, in the world, right? It's a football school. They win football championships here. And I kept saying, no, we're going to win a championship. And, and, and I can't tell you, but it's like that dream manifest. It just pulled us to it until, right? Until it's like you're standing in a dream. It's like you're in a dream. It's like, man, I'm looking around and we, we just did it. Like I remember telling myself, we just did what we've been talking about doing for 10 years. So I do believe that in mastery, and I do believe it is 10,000 hours of practice with feedback and recalibration. That's something a lot of people don't talk about when it comes to mastery. You could do something for 10,000 hours and still suck at it, right? Uh, you need coaching and feedback and recalibration and breakthroughs, and breakdowns, and you know, all of these things. And, you know, to your question about self-actualization, I remember being around Dyer. I wanted to meet Dyer. And so I flew to San Juan, Puerto Rico to just, just meet him, you know, and I flew by myself. I remember, I was so curious. He was doing a cruise and he was going to get off the ship in San Juan and just do an evening coaching and teaching. And, you know, I just wanted to meet the guy. And so I remember going in the room and just standing there and he was so relaxed and, you know, he just had this presence about it. Now, was he self-actualized? I, I don't know. It's hard to say. I, I, I don't, I, it's hard to know 
when you're with a self-actualized person. I do know that there's been certain, a few people in my life that I'm like, man, that dude is operating at a very high frequency, right? It's like just emanating contagious confidence off of them, you know? And I am very interested in self-actualization in all four parts of my nature, body, mind, heart, and spirit. I call it going pro, you know, press field road, do the work, go pro. And I believe that at some point in life, we leave our amateur desires behind and we make a decision to go pro. And I believe we go pro in all four parts of our nature. So that's physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, you know, physically, you know, I, I go to the number, what I would consider one of the top energy experts in the world, top energy doctors in the world. You know, um, I'm on a certain nutrition plan. I work out at a pretty high frequency mentally. I'm constantly engaged emotionally. You know, I mean, I think there's areas I definitely need work spiritually. I try to operate at a high frequency. So I don't, I don't think I'm there. I think I'm trying to get there, but in comparison to the normal cat that's out there in the world, that's not even interested <laughs> in self-actualization. So, you know, one of the things I think is interesting about self-actualized people, whether it be 13 or 18 traits of self-actualized people, you know, one of the traits of a self-actualized uh, person is they're totally independent of the good opinion of other people. They reach such a level that they really don't care. They remove consideration, which is an internal thought that prohibits an external action. They have, you know, no fear of rejection. They don't care what people think about them. They don't get embarrassed. They, right. That's the old saying that, you know, a self-actualized person showed up to a party, um, a, a black tie affair where everybody was dressed up in a pair of shorts and a t-shirt. What, what did he, what did he think when people said something about him? And the professor gave the students this test and they wrote pages and pages about what he thought. And that professor just said, every one of you failed. And they said, all you had to write to answer the thing was he or she doesn't care. <laughs> they don't care what other people think about them. So if they show up in a pair of shorts and a t-shirt when everybody else is in a three piece suit, the self-actualized person is like, man, it, you know, doesn't matter. Why did Steve Jobs wear the same thing every day? Why did, why, you know, why did, why do these people that do big things in the world, you know, they, they, they don't care what other people think about them. Why is Elon Musk trying to go to the moon or create some, you know, it's just interesting to me that there's certain people that just kind of remove these hesitation and considerations while most of the world is gripped is literally in fear of another person just rejecting them for anything. I mean, you know, I mean, it's crazy, but, but it, but it is a, it's a stranglehold, stranglehold. And I don't think you can ever really reach your full potential until you remove some of these limiting beliefs. Yeah, absolutely. I think fear is a, a massive one. And you touched on a lot of great points. You know, I think even just getting in the game is 99% of it because it's, it's an evolving process. You said something at the beginning that was along those lines that, um, you know, the process is the reward. And, you know, if you look at um, like a young person who might be uh, five years old, like a kid or something, right? And it's like, oh, well, you're not going to be good enough until uh, you don't ride with training wheels. You know, you don't say that to a kid. And then they get their, you know, bike and their training wheels off. It's like, oh, well, you're not going to be good enough until, I don't know, you're on a larger bike and you get to school on your, by yourself. And then you could move that to high school and, and change that scenario. Then you can move it to graduating high school. It's like, oh, well, you know what? You need to graduate university. Then you'll be a real person and good enough and self-actualized and all that kind of thing. 
And I think that it's more the pursuit, you know, each and every day and in, in your intention and where you aim. And if you can, I like to give the example of if you could be whole, perfect, harmonious, and legitimately content and full of self-love and, and uh, respect with wherever you are in the process, because it is a long game. It's a long journey. And if we can combine that with the element of staying on track and productive with where we want to go, maybe not in like an, an iron fist, but ensuring that we have things in place like accountability or coaches um, or people or environments or things that are moving us in the trajectory that we want to move in our our lesser nature, our lesser human nature. You said, um, you know, you can move into comfort mode and that's really what's happening on the planet. It's like we, our comfort is killing us. You know what I mean? Everything is so, we don't hunt anymore. We don't do all these things that we used to do. Everything is so easy. So we have massive obesity. We have massive heart disease. We have massive illnesses because it is nice to have it so easy. Um, but, but maybe when it's gone too far, we lose some of that other nature, some of that other will and some of that skill set that we have that's always in us, but we, we're not training it. So we kind of lose it. And that's probably not the people we want to be. You know what I mean? And I like, um, I don't know if it's David Goggins. He does something insanely hard every day, but you know, do something tough every day. Like I remember last winter I was, um, you know, running, I would run pretty much every night, no matter how cold it was. And I would do it bare feet in the snow. And, uh, you know, after a while it was hard. Um, but it was just to do something challenging. And a lot of the time it's easier for me to train my body because the body trains the mind. Cause my mind is saying, you know, what are you doing, dummy? <laughs> you know? But when I do it over and over, it builds a bit of resilience. It kind of is training me to not always take the easy way. And so um, I don't know if you want to comment on that, but the question I'd have is, you know, what can we do to set ourselves up for success? What are some of the, you, you, you addressed them a bit, but what are the, some of the common, common pitfalls and how can we set ourselves up for high performance? Well, I think, I think doing something every day you don't want to do builds a muscle right and i think most people don't want to build that muscle amateurs listen to their feelings we when we look at people that master something people at the top of their game any way you measure it um we measure most things financially because it's just a measuring stick right they've done something they've created something but that's not the only measuring stick um most of those people, right, most of those people show up every day and train whether they feel like it or not. Amateurs say, man, yeah, you know, I don't feel like it today. So let's do it tomorrow, right? Goggins trains every day. He runs every day. He does something every day. He doesn't have to, but he does. Okay. I don't have to work out every day. I, you know, and, but I do. And um, I could wing presentations, but I don't. Cause I'm a professional. And to me, there's a big difference between an amateur and a professional. I am interested in my potential. Therefore I'm willing to work through that to have the feeling of accomplishment when I'm finished. Now there's, there's, I get asked the question a lot. Is it nature or nurture? Uh, you know, do you just have something in you that you can't put in and you can't take out? You know, I would say it's a combination of both. A lot of it's genetic, physiological, psychological scripting from an early age. You know, I was raised by a single mother. She taught me to be tough. She taught me to show up every day. We didn't whine. We didn't complain. We don't make excuses, right? We're, we're, we were, I was conditioned to be tough. 
And where does that pay off in a period of COVID when other people want to quit and I push harder, right? Some people, when their back's against the wall, they push harder because of their condition. Now, my kids, I have a, a son and a daughter, they are exposed to an exponentially easier life than I was, right? So, so the worst thing I want for them is for them to be soft, to be, you know, entitled, for them to be not know how to work the muscle, to be uncomfortable. So now I've got to create some artificial adversity for them to toughen them up because I know how hard the world can be, you know, because they're used to having things so much easier, so much better, so much handed to them. Right. And we didn't have those things. So I think when it comes to the amateur versus the professional, you got to make a decision if you're going to go pro in your life or you're not, or you're going to stay amateur. So professionals show up whether they feel like it or not. The football player doesn't want to catch the football every Sunday and get hammered by somebody when he runs a slant route. You know what I'm saying? The speaker doesn't want to give a speech every day. The coach doesn't want to coach somebody every day. The, the entertainer doesn't want to sing the song every day that everybody wants them to sing, but they sing it because they're professionals. And I think that's a big thing that people have to make a decision in their life if they're going to go pro or not. Yeah, a hundred percent. I agree. And it's, it's funny too, because I, I'll, I'll share that a lot with coaching and saying, you know, the people who are great at stuff, they just show up when they don't want to. And you'd be surprised at how many people don't want to do those things. Um, it came up a while back when I was um, coaching one of my clients and she said, um, you know, I only do what's an F yes, you know, and, and because of my training in sports it kind of helps me sniff out some of the new age bullcrap and uh i was like i i hear what you're saying about like you know doing it like maybe a positive perspective around it or pursuing something that's an f yes but that philosophy would not work for anybody that i know who's achieved greatness in sport or anything else they did lots of things that they did not want to do. Um, then they earn the right to magnify and maybe focus more on their skills. But every, like nobody, have you experienced this in, in ex training athletes, training uh, top level CEOs, being around millionaires and successful people? Have you ever experienced anybody who got a free pass? Whether it was uh, their parents were rich or even if they had, you know, a leg up to start, I don't think... I've never witnessed anybody getting a free pass to getting fulfillment and success. You know what I mean? Creating something that was, you know, something meaningful to them that they brought to the world and, and experienced that fulfillment. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, it, it, it violates, I don't know, some universal law, right? Like you, like there is no wealth without work. Mm. There is no pleasure without conscience, right? There, there, there is, there is, there is no this without that. You know, and I would tell you, I do things every day that I don't, I don't enjoy doing. And um, I'm constantly restructuring the business. Sure, everybody would like to play in their unique ability area, their unique ability zone. And I think the purpose of the business, you know, you can structure and restructure the business and design and redesign the business around your unique abilities. But getting there, you do a lot of things. You know, that's why, that's why I'm, you know, Navy SEALs have the concept of embrace the suck. You don't become a Navy SEAL by just picking and choosing what you want to do, what you don't want to do. You know, and I always joke and say, I'm looking for Navy SEALs, not baby SEALs. You know, I'm a tough guy to work with and work for because I have such high expectation of people. And I tell people that work with me, it's going to be the hardest thing you've ever done, but it's going to be the best thing you've ever done. 
Uh, even people that tell me for a period they love it, typically about a year into it, go, man, this is just too hard. It's too hard. I love it, but I can't do it. It, it shocks me how many people just um, sub themselves out and go, man, I love you, coach. I love you. I, I love what you're doing. I love being around you, but this is too hard. I hear that a lot. And I don't want to go at this pace. Right. And I hear that a whole lot. So good people um, kind of cycle out with me. I have very high turnover and people always ask me, is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's, it's a thing, man, you know, and uh, I don't know if it's good or bad. I think it's sometimes I think turnover is healthy. I think it infuses new blood into the organization. I think uh, I heard once that Tony Robbins went through 43 assistants in one year. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I could see that happening though, because the dude's got incredible expectation of people. And is that, I mean, who's going to go to him and go, look, man, you need to change Tony. You know, <laughs> you, you're, you're the problem here, right? Like, like, He's going to say, look, man, I'm Tony Robbins. You can either work with me or you can get out of the way. Like you got to make up your mind how it's going to be. So a lot of way, a lot of the associations people assign to something good, bad, turnovers, bad. This is good. I don't assign those associations to things. There is no good or bad, right? It's, it is what it is. And for some people it works and some people it doesn't, you know, and, and I didn't, I think when people hire me to be their coach, they're hiring me because they have a desire somewhere to go to a higher frequency. Now it's going to be very uncomfortable getting them to that frequency because it's going to require them to leave behind these amateur desires they have and go pro. And there's going to be this period of discomfort or disorientation where I'm pushing them to do things they don't want to do. But because of my coaching background, that's what coaches do. You know, we live in a world today where there's so many people that coach in different ways. Some people believe coaching is me just asking you questions and letting you come to your own conclusions. And I'm not saying that's not coaching, but that's not my, my way of coaching. My way of coaching is I'm go I have a structure. I'm going to push you through that structure and try to help you, you know, have conversations you don't want to have, you know, push you to do some things you don't want to do, help you become something, activate and reactivate the prey drive. I'm trying to get you to a point because that's what it's in my opinion, what a good coach does. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree. And I think the sports background is, is helpful for that because I, there are many different models for coaching, but if you look at sports, for example, or like the MMA training, which is, which is very familiar to me, the conditioning and, and the stuff that they put you through is agony. Nobody wants to do that. And I probably, I I've never done a conditioning circuit on my own, uh, near like the MMA ones I did in Thailand or near what I did in uh, the Shaolin temple. And uh, if I said anything from that experience, it was just like these little tiny people that were all very short and very mean. And they would, they would just get out every ounce of what you had it, I, with your body being exhausted from, you would train from uh, six in the morning till four in the afternoon, every day, Monday to Friday, and they would just crush you. And your body would need to recuperate because your body would be sore from an intense day of training. And if you could only do five push-ups, somehow you'd be doing two or three hundred that day. Just in in, but what it gave you after was this understanding of what you were capable of. So they assisted you in getting to that potential. And when you do that, it unlocks something in your mind. And that's a lot of what David Gog Goggins talks about. So I feel like 
in the world today with coaching and high performance and 10x and all that kind of stuff, there is this middle ground that needs to be met with work ethic, uh, focus. And then I think the spiritual side for me, the fulfillment side is, is it meaningful to you in a way that it serves other people? Or is it just for you to be uh, super cool and famous and get money and do nothing with it. it? Does it have some sort of meaning? Do you know what your why is? And how does that help or empower other people? And those for me are, are, are some of the key tools in, in, in doing that work. Because if you get really clear on what your why is, you'll be willing to embrace the suck a lot more. You know, if you're really doing it for ego, you're probably going to give up somewhere because you're going to hit a roadblock. We all hit roadblocks. And are you going to have the will or the dedication or um, the drive to get over that when it happens? You know, and, and, a, and a contrasting point of view of that could be, as I was thinking about that, if, if your desire is to be known and famous in the world and you become known and famous by being the best at what you do and in the process help millions of people. Is that okay? You know, I remember T.D. Jake saying, you know, I never set out to be famous. I set out to be effective. And the more effective I became, the more famous I became. Now, you know, something you said earlier, I had an experience this past Sunday at a church in Vero Beach, Florida. Um, because you were talking about things that were real and not real and the, the uh, televangelist and, you know, at the end of this service, the pastor was, who's, was from South Africa, taught a very passionate service about rejection and how deep rejection is in the spirit and how to remove that rejection. And at the end of the service, a young lady came up and wanted to meet the pastor and, you know, it was totally unexpected. I, I was over here, uh, just going to say hi to the pastor because he knew who I was and he was thank, you know, he wanted to thank me for coming to visit his church that day. And he, she walked up and said something to the pastor. And the first thing the pastor said is you guys need to step back away from her for just a minute. And he began to just pray over her and she began to yell and scream. And man, it was pretty intense. And he was praying over her to pull a demonic spirit out of her. And she was yelling, but it didn't sound like her yelling. It was just, it was crazy. And, you know, cause I've seen all those things on television or televangelists or, you know, hitting people or touching people or them falling over. And, and then I was just right up close and experiencing this real dramatic, intense moment of, of, him trying to pull something out of her and, uh, and, her, and her response to it. And of course, it's not something I typically see, you know, in the South where I live, that's not normal. We have very traditional worship at Baptist or Church of Christ or, you know, so for me to be at a charismatic church and see that in person and the pastor said what he needed to say to her and then he stepped away from her and then he walked over to me and said, Coach Burt, thanks for coming to church. <laughs> and he's like, uh, you know, now she knows what to do. It's just a matter of if she'll do it or if she'll do it or not. And um, it got me thinking about certain stories in the Bible where people with demonic spirits came up to Jesus and Jesus removed those spirits from them and they kicked and screamed and threw and it's like out of body experience. Right. And that was kind of what I saw down there. So it got me thinking a minute ago when you said, is it real? Is it not real? I did not think uh, for one second that that pastor was doing that. For money, I didn't think he was doing it for fame because it was a small church with 
50 to 100 people in it. It was just an experience. And uh, so sometimes we don't know. We don't know why people do things. We don't know what the outcome is. We don't know if it's real or not real. Like you said, you saw somebody train and do something that another person may not believe could happen, right? But, 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 right? But there was training involved and there was, there was these different things involved. And so it just, it just, it was, it was a unique situation that, that I hadn't seen many times before. Uh, but, but it seemed very real. It didn't seem canned or staged or like, it seemed like this girl had a stronghold that she was trying to get rid of and she couldn't get rid of it. And so for what it's worth, that's what happened. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm, I'm glad you shared that because I've seen, I've seen some of the men that, you know, Darren Brown kind of exposes a few, but from what I've read in, in really deep spiritual texts, Bhagavad Gita, uh, the life and teachings of the masters of the Far East, some of, you know, what it says in the Bible, it does talk about these entities. And, you know, when I look at some of the darkness in the world and, you know, that comes from, I worked on a human trafficking um, project, which I'm still slightly involved with. And, also organ harvesting in China, it goes down to these deep rabbit holes of, of entities. And you think like, you know, that's a bit nuts, you know, is that, could there really be entities? But, you know, the firsthand accounts of what I've heard from different people and some of the things I've read, they kind of correlate, you know? And, and so when you say that story, it could be, you know what I mean? It very much could be. I remember I was trying to find the, the guest I've had. I've had him on a couple of times, but he was from Africa and his dad was a pastor. And, um, he basically said in passing, he's like, yeah, people would come up to my dad and, you know, my dad was very famous and I was his child and we did this all over Africa and he would just heal people of like entities, spontaneous healings and all this stuff. And, and he just kind of, you know, went through that real quick. I was like, wait a second, are you telling me your dad like would do these miracle things? He's like, yeah, but it wasn't a big deal to us. And so I don't know you know, because I've learned magic and I've learned about manipulation, I would have to really vet it through kind of like, uh, uh, she to forget what his name is, but he, he had a life of kind of exposing, you know, getting to the bottom of things like Darren Brown does. But I do think that there are, is some truth to stories like this, that there is some sort of metaphysical realm. And I'm curious about what those limits are, you know, what, what, what's actually possible. Well, there's probably people out there that watch me that think that are, that are, shallow-minded that could take and you know say they're exposing me for 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 coaching people when they don't really understand right like the 28 years of coaching that i've done like there are people out there that think it's not real it's not like what we do what we're doing to unlock the potential in a person is not real and and all i know all i know is like like just like uh, a doctor goes to work and has been trained to be a doctor and a you know, a person that does certain things have been trained. I mean, that's my pedigree, which is unlocking the potential in a person. Now, when you unlock that potential in a person, they have an enormous amount of gratitude for you because I just noticed the other day, um, you know, one of my students put out there on his, on his Facebook that he, his life had been changed and he was chasing, pursuing his dreams before. And he had a great co coach in high school. This dude's 50 something years old. And, you know, he was referencing me that I had kind of unlocked this potential and activated his prey drive. Well, the very first person jumped in and said, oh, that's hocus pocus and it's not real. And, oh, he's a scam artist. And the dude never met me, knows nothing about me. He's never even had one conversation. He's probably never watched one video. But, but that's how he, this dude in my program was getting attacked by this other guy for trying to reach his potential, man. So there's so much small mindedness in the world. Of, that's why I don't associate meaning. To, to things. I don't, I don't, I don't 
I don't try to judge that. Whatever's true, you know, for you in this scenario, you know, like I said, I, I don't know if that was real or not real. What All I can tell you is what I saw at that church on Sunday, right? Somebody may come in and say it was always bogus. It was crazy. I saw it with my own eyes. I was there. I got, I got to tell you what I experienced and what I saw. So I think when you're thinking about these things, um, what triggered in my mind is there are lots of people in our industry that use personality ethic. Mm. And I learned this under Covey. He talked about the deep, the deep difference between character, character ethic and personality ethic and personality ethic are charismatic personality tactics that people use to make other people feel a certain way, like they care about them. And I could tell you at least one person that is that you would know that I have done events with that is famous that I would tell you uses personality techniques. Drives me crazy. Um, and, and lots of people look at this dude like he's the big time dude. And I think it's fake. I don't think he really does care about people. I think he pretends to care about people. And so and in my experiences, that's how I felt when I was with him. So that's to me, personality ethic. And I don't ever want to be perceived that way. I want to have deep character. I want, I want people to know I care about the people that I coach. Now I understand when you get up into thousands of people, like I'm now just getting into servicing thousands of people a month in my coaching programs. It's very hard to give all those people that much time and bandwidth. Right. And so it, I, I get when you start scaling this, that you don't have a lot of time to spend with each person. Right. And that's kind of from the, in the beginning, it's easy. You got 10 people and 20 people and 30 people. And then you got thousands of people. And it's like, you know, it's hard to give everybody time, but you can still be a good person. You can still have character. You can still do what you say you're going to do. You can still make and keep your commitments to people. So I can kind of read through personality technique where they tell you, it'd be like me telling you, oh, this is the best interview I've ever done. And you're the best interviewer. And oh, you ask me questions that nobody else asked me, which is true. I mean, you have, we've gone deeper than most podcasts, most interviews. But what if I turn around and told the very next person that interviewed me the same thing? Oh, you're the best interviewer I've ever had. Like I've never had anybody ask me these questions. And I see some people do that over and over and over, man. And I just can't, I, just, I, don't, I, don't, I don't appreciate that. I, I, I believe in being the real, a real, the real deal. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think it's like it just about the importance of authenticity. And that's what I mean. If you're going to, you know, move towards goals, you can do whatever you want. You can do it for fame and money and, and success and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I feel like if you're not doing it from an authentic place of what's meaningful to you, the uh, reward or what you perceive to be the reward is not going to be as fulfilling. And, you know, with your story about the pastor, I'm more inclined to believe stories like that. You know, the first world ones, like, you know, what was that? And, and, and dive into that a little bit, because that's what I'm, I'm curious about these limits to human potential. Like, you know, when I was in Egypt, some of the stories I heard um, from some of the guides were unbelievable, you know, and they just told you these stories in passing about some of the things they discovered, you know, and, and like these, yeah, just crazy stories. And, but you look at them and they don't really have a reason just to make up the story. There's, they're not going to benefit from, you know, saying stuff like that. So we live in a curious world and I, and I do think that authenticity is super important. And I like the distinction of um, the personality and the character. And, and I feel like if we can live in a world where we're more authentic um, with ourselves and who we are, and we, we take the time to pursue 
you know, self-actualization in our own way. Like it's not an end goal, but the pursuit of it does change our character. It does change our way of being, does uh, change our outlook and it changes how we affect other people. And ultimately I feel like you're being um, harmonious with the environment, you know, and not, and the, you know, the other way would be a little bit harmful, maybe through ignorance and, and no fault of your own because you haven't thought about it, but it'd be better if more people were a little bit more, uh, cognitive because we'll have a better experience for everybody you know nobody who is working on these ideas is going around being a total a-hole on purpose on a consistent basis maybe right. you have your off days and you're not doing great but at least you'll reflect and be like next time i should probably make a better choice than that so um you know this has been a wonderful interview honestly I, and uh, uh is there anything that you wish that i had asked you or that you want to touch on before we close it up no, I think, I think you ask great questions and I think we got to go to places I typically don't get to go to in interviews. And uh, I appreciate that from a guy that does a lot of interviews. <laughs> I like what I, I like going to places. I like people knowing that there, there's, there's more to me than just the coach that they see, the motivational guy they see there's breadth and depth and thought and study and, you know, reflection and, you know, I think, I think it's important that you have this wide range that you can help people, right? I mean, I think going into the prison system for four years, rehabilitating offenders, learning what I learned there was incredibly valuable for me uh, to give me some of that breadth and depth, to see people of all walks of life, all socioeconomic backgrounds, uh, all, all types of life, to, to, to see that they do have potential, right? And, and, and maybe they got obsessed on the wrong things. And they did the wrong things, but they had potential, right? They just utilized that potential in, in the wrong arenas. So thank you for having me tonight. I enjoy it. I uh, really enjoyed it. I look forward to, uh, to, to seeing you down the road, man. Yeah, sounds good, man. I, I appreciate that. And where can people uh, find more about uh, you and your work if they want to follow you? And then I just have one follow-up question because I figure I know you – I figure I know the answer, but do you think that like potential or greatness or the ability to live a remarkable life is true for any individual, regardless of their uh, background, income, family, race, hardships, anything? Do you think it's possible for every individual on the planet? I think every individual has the potential. If the, but the prey dive is not activated or they're not exposed, then the likelihood of them reaching that potential diminishes greatly. The environments, like, like I have two kids, I want them to be in the best, best environments they can be in by the best teachers so they can reach their potential. And if you don't get access to those things or the coaches or the experiences, then your potential is greatly, greatly diminished uh, in the world. Uh, people can find me at coachbird.com. Uh, I do lots of events, boot camps, events, uh, speaking tours. Uh, they, can, they can go there. I've got a coaching program called Monster Producer that they could look at, which is a good place to start YouTube. I've got thousands of videos on YouTube and uh, you know, I believe everybody needs a good coach in their life. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for the commitment to the work. Uh, it's been a pleasure to interview you and uh, we'll definitely keep in touch. All right. Thank you, man. Cool. Have a Thanks. good night. Bye-bye. Yeah, you too. Peace. Thanks guys. Bye. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely amazing coach, Michael Burt. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please share it, uh, subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, um, share it as far as you can, because being banned and shadow banned and full on deleted is a real pain in the butt. So thank you to all my patrons. If you want to support that way, go to patreon.com forward slash Matt 
Belair. Go to uh, mattbelair.com. Make sure to sign up for the email list because the Quantum Heart experiences are coming out soon. You can get access to the training. You can inquire about coaching and all the other stuff I'm working on. So make sure that you um, sign up over there to avoid all the censorship and the banning and stuff like that. And uh, I think that's it. I'm really excited to get this Quantum Heart stuff out. It's been a long time coming um, and I keep making more and more meditations. So I'm going to do like a soft launch to my uh, community and group because I'm still building so much more and I'm going to just figure out the best way to set something up as far as a membership or whatever so I can make these a very, very powerful experiences and continue to add because um, I'm having some amazing people reach out um, to help me with some of the the uh, audios and the guided experiences, you know, using Salveggio, brainwaves, brainwave entrainment, uh, binaural beats, literally the best that uh, we have as far as understanding the science of sound and what it can do as far as brainwave entrainment and creating incredibly powerful experiences. So uh, if you're interested in all that kind of stuff, make sure to go to mattbelair.com and stay up to date. So thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you guys. And let's come into a state of peace and coherence. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, inspiration, courage, energy, connection, and ready to take on the rest of the day. So thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.